Hi, and welcome to the show. This is Owner Managed, and I'm Steve Burles. In this episode, I'll be talking to Richard Whittaker, owner of Whittakers of Shipley. We'll be discussing how this unashamedly old-fashioned company that started in 1964 has jumped into the world of online retail and is reaping the benefits. So welcome to Unmanaged Podcast. Uh, today I have Richard Whitaker with me uh, from Whitakers of Shipley. So hi Richard. Hi Steve, thanks for inviting me. Glad to be here. Thank you, thank you. Um, so first off, I think it'd be good if we could get a little bit more information about yourself, you know, what your background is, where you sort of came from. Okay, so I'm Richard Whitaker, and my background is that I left school in 1984 and uh, I was actually interested in going into banking or insurance, but uh, that didn't happen. I actually went straight into my father's business and I trained as, uh, initially trained as an engineer. Uh, And I soon discovered that uh, really what I was interested in was was selling. Uh, So I was able to uh, sort of focus on selling appliances to customers and I then needed to uh, sort of develop relationships with with suppliers and manufacturers. So to start with, I did the engineering and wasn't overly happy with that. I, I wanted to be out communicating with customers. So uh, I rapidly sort of opened up agencies and accounts with the likes of uh, Bosch, mm-hmm. Neff, Siemens, Miele. Yep. Uh, but, but that wasn't good enough. I, I found I wasn't able to buy as competitively as I wanted to do. Uh, there were constant challenges. So I was aware of an organization called CIH Euronics. Uh, it was a specialist organization uh, which supported small independent retailers. So I joined Euronics right. in the late 1990s. Uh, that enabled me to open more accounts. Uh, it was like a, a, I suppose, an access mechanism was Euronics, so I could speak to other manufacturers. Mm-hmm. We then could sell more. We developed the business, uh, and we've gone from strength to strength. And uh, so that's how it, it started. Uh, and now we've, we've decided to specialise in predominantly German manufacturers, like Miele, yeah. F, Bosch, so Siemens. It's the high end of the Yeah, more, of the, more, really, more, more of the premium end of the market. Yeah. So uh, that's, you know, that, that's what we're doing. Uh, that's what we're, we're successful at. And uh, that, that's, that's basically how we started and that's how, we're, and that's how we're going on. Okay. So can we, can we go back a bit now to when Whitaker's was actually started? Um, so just add a look at your website earlier on. Um, was established in 1964. Yeah, so, so basically, my father, Dennis Whitaker, established the business in 1964 with his business partner, Keith Whitaker, who shared the same surname, but, but not they, related. they were not related. Right. So, uh, that partnership was dissolved in 1972, and my father became a sole trader, and... From 1972 right up to 1984, he, he basically ran the business by himself. Uh, as I said earlier, I came in in 1984. It wasn't particular. The jobs market in 1984 was not particularly easy. I, I, 
I wanted to go into banking and insurance. Uh, I, apl- I applied for jobs with uh, the likes of Commercial Union and different, and, and different banks, uh, but I, I didn't get the job offer I wanted. Right. So ba- basically, uh, I felt at the time, I'm going to go into the family business as a stopgap. Well, I never left. I'm still here in, in 2019. <laughs> and don't, re- don't regret it for one single moment. I, yep. I, I love the business that, that I'm in. But, you know, my, what I wanted to do in 1984 was use the business as a stopgap. And I trained as an engineer. Uh, and I enjoyed doing that. I enjoyed fixing machines. In all honesty, it, it, it didn't offer me the challenges and the rewards that I really wanted as an individual. So, Did it almost give you some kind of appreciation, though, of what actually goes into a product or a machine or something like that? You know, so a lot of people just see a, a white <laughs> box, but actually what's inside it is uh, yeah, quite I mean, complicated. It, it did, and I, and I enjoyed it, and I enjoyed, I enjoyed fixing things. But to be honest, Steve... I enjoy communicating. I, I love talking to people. And uh, I discovered that actually, if a machine wasn't worth repairing, well, the natural, the, the, the natural process was replacement, selling. Yeah. yeah. And then I think a light came on. Right. And uh, that's how I started to develop the sales side of the business. I, in all honesty, Steve, I did begin to lose interest in repairing things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, that, that's just me personally. I, I wanted to sell. Very, very driven by selling and communicating with people. I found that actually being able to communicate, listen to people, I could actually sell easily. I've never struggled to sell machines. Yeah. Uh, so we get to the mid-late 1980s. I've ditched the idea of going into banking or insurance, completely ditched it. Yep. Uh, I'm very, very focused on the little business that I'm in mm-hmm. and making it not a little business, but actually a very successful business. It's now a very successful business, but it's been, I don't know, a long work in progress. Because you, you'll have been all the way through from having a, a traditional um, retail shop on a high street where people would generally walk into it, buy a product and leave <clears throat> to now where we've got the internet and everyone's got a website and everyone's got, you know, prices on the website. Everyone can buy on the website. Actually, no, the, the, uh, the business that I joined uh, in 1984 and from its inception in 1964 was really a service related business. So how Whitaker started was as a service business. Uh, people approaching us because they were wanting their appliances repaired. So the business I joined in 1984, its focus was service. Mm -hmm. And uh, yes, we sold appliances, a few appliances. It was by no means uh, the main sort of financial driver of the business selling service was that. And I changed that when I came in in the mid-1980s and uh, became much more focused on selling much more focused on uh and was that was that a, a conversation with you with your dad then did you kind of say look i want to do i want to do this or was he happy to jump into the sales side of things or do you know what i, I don't actually think we had a conversation uh 
it happened. It ev- it just evolved. Yeah. And uh, I mean, yes, we we the business has all, had always sold appliances, but the main change was I just became really focused on it. Mm-hmm. And uh, obviously, in the mid to, to late nineteen eighties, uh, the retail environment was very very different. No, we didn't have the internet. We did have organisations like Comet and Valances yeah. and, and so forth. They were they were the people that we had to compete against, and uh, it wasn't particularly easy uh, back in the mid to late nineteen eighties. We were completely independent. I was negotiating directly with manufacturers such as AEG, Zanussi. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was a kid back then. It was all a learning curve. Yeah. Uh, a very good learning curve, as it as it turns out. Uh, I can I can even remember at the age of about nineteen or twenty, going off and 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 meeting uh, senior sales personnel and you know telling them that uh, I can sell their appliances and please have faith in me. Right, and right. they did. They did have faith in so me. So that's pretty good for a nineteen twenty year old. So uh, you must have, yeah, you must have been I, quite driven to, I, I, to do I that. Didn't, I didn't realise it at the time. In all honesty, I was. I've always been driven. Mm. Uh, Anyway, they did put faith in me and uh, uh, I did what I said I was going to do. I delivered, I did the selling. And then what I soon realised was uh, I was going to have to join some kind of buying organisation. I mean, we were still a little shop and little shops can't compete with big shops and, and, unless they've got some support mechanism behind them. Mm-hmm. And I was aware of a, an organisation called CIH Euronics uh, and uh, I applied in the late 1990s. Uh, so basically for, for the best part of 12 years from the late 1980s up to the late 1990s, I was on my own. Yep. We were on our own as a business doing our own negotiations yep. and uh, we, were, we were successful. But I wanted more success. Mm-hmm. So we joined uh, Euronics. I think the, the, the membership, the official membership came through uh, back end of 1999, uh, early 2000. And we've never looked back since. Right. So uh, what CIH Euronics enabled us to do uh, was to approach other manufacturers, lots of other manufacturers, and buy competitively. Yeah. Uh, and so then we generated more sales. We were able to invest back in the shop. And at the beginning, I, I was doing everything. I'd literally, I, I, I was happy to try and sell anything. Right. But it had a downside. It, it did have a downside. I couldn't... Uh, put everything on display in the shop that was expected of me. So we had to choose the manufacturers that, right. uh, that we uh, that we are with today. So, mm-hmm. ba- so basically we had to whittle down the manufacturers. And so I made that decision based on my customers. You know, my customers want high quality appliances. Yeah. Uh, they want good service. So now we've, we've whittled it down to probably eight main manufacturers that we're dealing with. We have mm-hmm. a great relationship with them. Uh, and uh, we are still investing back in the shop. It's co- constantly evolving as the business. We're now working in a 
cutthroat retail environment. We've got we've got internet traders uh, that we're having to compete against, and we're successful in that. We yeah. are competing with them. We are delivering high quality service, and uh, that drives me. Mm-hmm. And that's that, that's basically, uh, uh, I suppose, a shortened story of how I joined the business and yeah. w- and where we are today. Yeah. So what what was the point then when he jumped online then when he got onto the internet? When oh, that happen? I jumped on. Well, we've had a website for many years. Uh, you know, I, I think we probably started off with a very basic website uh, nearly fifteen years ago, and it was really basic. Mm-hmm. But I just thought I have to have a website. Yeah. What I didn't realise fifteen years ago was the importance of how good having a website was. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway. Because uh, presumably your uh, client base was local at that point. Well, websites back 15 years ago were more an information platform. Mm-hmm. What I hadn't realised at the time was that they would rapidly become transactional and people would engage in e-commerce. That's, that's happened. People go online, uh, they uh, make their purchase decisions and they then obviously conduct their transactions over the internet. This is something that we haven't done. So we've gone down a different route. Uh, we keep our website uh, very data rich. We keep it uh, informative. We keep it interesting. There's a lot of product information on our website, uh, but I have not gone down the transactional route. That may be a good decision. That may be a bad decision. I think it's a good decision. Because what we do is we insist on direct communication with the customer. Mm-hmm. So we do a lot of, uh, we deal with a lot of telephone inquiries. We have a lot of email inquiries as a result of having a data-rich website. Yeah. We keep it personal. And uh, we've actually grown as a business in the last five years. We've grown considerably. Uh, we have a reputation for delivering good service. We have a reputation for being competitive. No, we're not the cheapest. I don't try to be the cheapest. I try always to be very competitive and always never to lose focus on customer service. That has been the recipe that we've used. It seems to be working. Mm. Because I guess if if you did a full e-commerce website and you were selling your goods online, then it is, it is just a price war, isn't it? You'd be forever updating <coughs> products and changing prices to keep yourself competitive. I know you do the, the price match, that kind of thing, but when it's online and it's there in front of everyone, um, the customer service element completely goes out of the window. Uh, that is true. Uh, however, more interestingly, some of the manufacturers that we deal with, the moment that we go e-transactional, they apply a penalty to us. So a lot of the manufacturers that I've chosen to stick with reward us as a business for not being e-transactional, for having a bricks and mortar store, employing staff, and having a a product uh, showcase in the shop that we can show customers. Okay. Uh, Anyone can move boxes. So I mean, at the end of the day, if you've got a website and you don't have a shop and you're just e-transactional, you are effectively a box mover, in my personal opinion. Uh, And the manufacturers I've chosen to uh, stay with, for example, 
Bosch, Miele, Siemens, Neff, etc., Rangemaster. Yeah. They actually reward me as a retailer for not being e-transactional, for having a shop, putting their products on display, yeah. and being prepared to interact with our customers. Mm-hmm. So, so that has guided my thought process in not being e-transactional. Yeah. A, I'm rewarded for it, and B, it goes, it goes back to how I started. I like to communicate with customers. I like to chat. Mm-hmm. I like to understand what my customer needs are. So that's that's the route we've gone down, and I guess um, I guess the reason why they they want you to be non-transactional online is because they have a very high-end brand and they want their brand to be explained, demonstrated by someone like yourself. That's a that's a, that's a perfect description of the situation. Yeah, unfortunately, uh, some retailers for them it's just a race to the bottom when it comes to price. Mm-hmm. We can all work for nothing for a short period of time. And uh, the fact is, organisations and businesses uh, that work for nothing uh, and don't focus on customer service, they go out of business. Yeah. They all go out of business. Yeah. The key is customer service, being competitive. Actually, sometimes you can gain sales even when you're not the most competitive. If you go to the trouble of explaining to your customers, look, I'm £30 more expensive on this particular product. I believe I'm worth that for the following reasons. And, you yep. know, g- give a detailed explanation of why you can't match this lowest price. Mm-hmm. And you know what? Nine times out of ten, a customer will listen to that. They'll make a judgment on that for themselves. And they'll often go with us. Yeah. Uh, so price is not everything. I imagine then with... Uh how you approach customer service, you must have quite a high customer loyalty rate. Then do you have a lot of customers that come back to you year on year of, or, you know, can you sort me out with this? Can you get me this? Does that happen? Totally, uh, I totally agree with that. We have very loyal customers. Yeah. Uh, we have on our website a, a reviews and testimonial section. And it's very important to me is that because we have customers contacting us and saying, look, uh, I I would like to thank such and such uh, for doing this. I'd like to thank you for that. And we actually ask them to put down their thoughts and feelings in a testimonial. And we put those on our website with permission. Customers can remove them if they want. And uh, I hadn't realized how many people read reviews and testimonials. Mm -hmm. But... That is a big driver for our business, getting yeah. uh, the, well, the testimonials why, and reviews Yeah, through. I mean, that's why people like Trustpilot and FIFO and people like that have, uh, you know, good businesses now because, you know, people are driven by other people's reviews. Yeah. Uh, word of mouth is very, very important. Uh, so, yeah, the reviews are good. Word, word of mouth is important. And having, you know, having a good marketing strategy is also important as well. Hence, I'm here today talking to you, Steve. <laughs> So, um, okay, so we've kind of come up to the kind of present day. What's, what's the, the future of the business, would you say? What's, what are the kind of plans? I know you're doing some refurbishment in the, uh, in the store and that kind of thing. What, what's, what's five years ahead? Oh. Have you got a plan for that? When don't I have a plan? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, I, I, I'm always thinking about what I want to do with the, the business and the ways in which I have to go forward with it. Uh, 
I'm really focused on presentation at the moment, how the business looks, how my customers feel when they come into my business. And we are heavily investing in shop fitting at the moment. We've got plans for a new shop front uh, for 2020. Uh, I'm obsessed with the displays being spick and span and, and clean and neat. Uh, so we're zoning the shop at the moment. We're having uh, uh, zones for Fisher Pay Kell, for Smeg. We finished the zones for Bosch, Neff and Siemens, Rangemaster. Uh, so we're making the shop an experience. So you can come to it. Uh, we can show you products. We've, we've just put the reception area at the front of the shop, moved it from the back. Uh, that has gone down very well with our customers. It's also a, mo a nicer environment in which to work. Uh, so presentation, how a customer feels, that's, that's my focus at the moment. Okay. Uh, and, you know, we're probably halfway through that project. We've still got quite a lot more work to do, but we will get there and it's already paying off. Great. And, and what's the, uh, what's, what's coming up in, within, within the industry in terms of the products and that kind of thing? I mean, I know you, you showed me a, a, a cooker tap that now does sparkling water. I mean, what's going to happen? You know, what's coming up next? What is the kind of next big thing? Oh, there's, all, there's always things coming up. And the challenge is to filter out the gimmicks and to concentrate on the products which uh, customers are going to find useful and benefit from. Uh, We've started working a lot more closely with Dyson. Uh, I've, always, I've always worked with Dyson, but uh, they are now being very, <clears throat> very proactive and supportive to independents such as ourselves who take presentation and customer service seriously. Mm -hmm. uh, their new range of lithium battery vacuum cleaners are amazing. Uh, we've put the full range on display uh, and I am very confident dealing with this brand. I'm very, very supportive of Dyson. They've got some really exciting products out there. Uh, I also deal with uh, a boiling water tap company called Kuka. Uh, they, so that's how you pronounce it, right? Kuka? I, I, I don't know. Is it Kuka I think it's Kuka. I think it's Kuka. Apologies to Kuka <coughs> if I've got that wrong. Uh, but uh, we are doing incredible business with Kuka at the moment. And that's on the back of very positive customer feedback. The product is amazing. It's, mm. it's, uh, does, ex does exactly what it says it does. It literally produces uh, boiling water at the, at, at the point of emission from the tap head. I think they're unique in that regard. Uh, they actually store the water uh, under pressure at, I think, 105 to 110 degrees in a storage tank. And when the water is released, it then meets atmosphere and boils at the point of release. It's right. a fantastic product. Right. We're going great, great guns with Kuka. Uh, what else is new? Uh, I, there's a, there's a, a strong drive from many manufacturers to make their appliances as, as environmentally friendly as possible. We're, we're all aware of climate change and climate issues at the moment. I mean, these are hugely important issues, mm -hmm. not only to myself, but to my customers as well. Yeah. And I'm pleased that the manufacturers I've chosen to work with take this issue really, really seriously. Mm -hmm. 
heat pump tumble dryers. There's a, there's a good product for me to focus on. These are the latest tumble dryer that uh, use far less electricity, far better for the environment, far better for your clothes. So we're, we're selling lots of heat pump tumble dryers. Right. Uh, they're, they're great products. There'll be other products out there, Steve, that, are, are, that escape my thought process at the moment, but it's, it's a very exciting industry to work in. Mm. Uh, and, uh, you know, I'll be, I'll be sharing innovation and new products through social media and, and on our website as and when they come to the fore. So, Richard, what, what would you say are the three main key challenges for the business? Well, Steve, there's no shortage of kitchen appliance retailers. So I, we've got three challenges or three things that we, we must never lose focus on. Uh, firstly, we must always be relevant niche, different from the rest. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when a customer's gone to the trouble of contacting us, uh, we, we must make sure they're impressed. Uh, we must make sure... Uh, that uh, we listen to them and we understand their needs. So firstly, that's really important that we do that. Second challenge is I work very closely with my trade partners and suppliers, so I'm buying competitively, so I can then pass on those competitive prices to my customers. That's a never-ending process, Steve, Mm -hmm. making sure we've got a good relationship with our suppliers, so we're buying right, so we're able to retail at the right price. Thirdly, uh, you know, things go wrong sometimes with customers. Sometimes customers Mm -hmm. are not happy. So we must make sure that we communicate effectively with our customers. We apologize when we get things wrong and we go out of our way to try and make the customer happy or or, or get the customer to a happier place. So, you know, equally, sometimes you can't, make a customer happy sometimes their expectations are can't be met mm-hmm. so you know have the strength and the conviction to politely and to assertively say to a customer i'm really sorry but i, I can't meet your expectations on this we're going to have to agree to disagree so be polite be assertive be reasonable and apologize when you need to you know uh, Sometimes we get it wrong and admit that you get it wrong yeah. and make it right. Yeah. Those three challenges have always been challenges and they remain focus points for me mm. to this very day. Uh, well, I think not, not just for your business. I think those three key points are, are good for any business, really, uh, the, the, if you can apply those to your business. Uh, they are very, very important. And unfortunately, when I am a consumer and when I am a customer, sometimes... I'm not getting that from the, or, the organization I deal with. Mm-hmm. I can't bear bad service. Yep. So uh, I, I, that's always a focus of mine. I, I just try to do my best. You don't always succeed, but I always try my best. Yeah. Okay, so let's, uh, let's move away from the business for a second. Now and okay. Let's talk about something that I know you're quite passionate about. And, well, it's two things, actually. It's uh, traveling and cars. Obsessed. Let's go with obsessed. I <laughs> I absolutely love traveling. I uh, my husband and I uh, use every opportunity that we can to uh, to travel. So uh, we will go to uh, cities around Europe. Uh, we also love long haul travel. I love res- I love researching places that I'm going to and vi- mm-hmm. and visiting uh, places of interest. Uh, 
I, I actually have two. I actually have two other things that I'm really interested in as well. Not just cars. Uh, I, I'm anything to do with the Second World War. I'm fascinated by, right, and that okay. t- and that ties in with the travel. Uh, so, so do you try and visit? So, yeah, I mean, World, my, World War II sites, my that kind of thing. My, I think the history, my, the, the Second World War, and my interest in that is driven by my my grandfather, who was a major in the Eighth Army, right. and I used to love sitting down with him as a as a child, and he would tell me about his experiences yep. in the army and during the Second World War. That was, and that that never left me. I was all, I was always, uh, I was always focused focused on that. I can remember as a as a kid watching uh, the World at War, really old doc, a really old. Yeah, uh, I remember. Uh, and uh, like, that yeah. had me hooked. I found that fascinating. Yeah. So yeah, anything to do with the Second World War, anything to do with travel, love long haul travel. I'm very very fortunate. Uh, recently, I've just come back from South America. I was in Uruguay. I was in Brazil. Nice. I was in uh, Argentina and Chile. That was an amazing experience. Uh, and uh, is there anywhere that you've not? I know, I know you're going on a trip shortly, but is there anywhere that you'd really like to go to and you've just not managed to? Japan. Yeah, there, Japan. Yeah, I've got to go to Japan. Right, I've got to. I've got to go on the bullet train. I've got to. Uh, Mount Fuji. Mount Fuji. Uh, so I've got to go there. That's that, that's definitely on the agenda to go there. I don't know when I'm going to go there, but uh, uh, I, I think it will happen. Yeah. Cool. Uh, cars. Yes, obsessed with cars. I'm a complete petrol head and car bore. Uh, I love going to motor shows. Uh, I love reading statistics on cars. People will already be falling asleep. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anything to any, anything. All right, to, here's, here's a question. If you yeah. could have any car, any car, what would you have? Oh, that's a difficult question. Okay, I, I, any I, three cars. I, 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 I would want several. Uh, I would want a Bugatti Chiron. I'd want one of those. Uh, I would want a Tesla. Right. Uh, Which one? Any preference? Model S? Just a very fast one. <laughs> They're all very fast. As long as it's fast. As long as it's fast. Uh, okay. No, I do have a dream vehicle. I want the Mercedes G-Wagon uh, uh, AMG. Right. Okay. I want one of those. <clears throat> I have but to say, they look a bit like a box on wheels. They are, and is that not exactly <laughs> what they are? A box on wheels. They look. They look fantastic or hideously ugly. If that's your opinion, uh, that that is what I want. Right. I don't see it happening though. I don't think I could afford the fuel bill for it. <laughs> no, I think you probably need a tanker following <laughs> yeah, you. Yeah, you would. Yes, wouldn't you? Um, okay. Well, I'll uh, I'll pull it to an end now. And thank you very much for joining me on this podcast. No, that's it's been great talking to you, Steve. Thank yeah, you. Hopefully, you enjoyed it. Yes, you take care. Cheers. Thanks for listening. If we helped you with anything, please leave a comment. And if you would like to continue listening, please subscribe and feel free to pass on to a friend or colleague. This has been Owner Managed.